What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. We normally drop these in between our full episodes. As you know, our full episodes are chock full of discussions with super dope guests and look at multiple headlines and some shout outs and some good stuff. And those full episodes are also video format and it takes a while to edit those. So normally we drop these passing periods uh, in between those, but um, it's been quite a few passing periods in a row because Jeff and myself, my name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. We are, of course, very busy having wrapped up the school year and transitioning into summertime and dealing with uh, just work stuff, personal stuff, all that stuff. So uh, we have a few passing periods in a row and then we will get back to having super dope guests pretty soon, pretty soon. In fact, we already have our next set of guests booked and we're looking forward to that discussion. We'll talk about more. Uh, we'll talk about that some more uh, next week, giving you a preview of that discussion. But for now, we are here on a Saturday, mid-June, uh, Father's Day weekend. Shout out to everybody who might be having some kind of Father's Day weekend festivities or plans or whatever. Shout out to my pops. May he forever rest in peace. And um, shout out to all you fathers out there, everybody celebrating their fathers and all of that. So for this week's passing period, well, actually, first of all, first of all, Jeff, let me let me, let me me ask you how you're doing uh, in this mid-June. I know you didn't get to celebrate the end of the school year like us classroom teachers got to celebrate it so uh you know you being a super duper principal leader man i know you had some work to do recently so how was your week how are you doing uh on this fine sunny weekend well uh i'm doing doing just fine uh it is a beautiful day here in los angeles gotta love that um and this week as you as you mentioned i uh you know work year round so even though the school year ended, the summer is actually one of the busier periods of the year for, for me and the various work streams that I oversee. So we had a, a big event this week with all the leadership teams from the various schools that I work with. And uh, it, was, it was actually a, a beautiful, beautiful gathering uh, of folks. And um, so it felt good. A lot of work, but felt good. And it was kind of the like ceremonial end of the year because even though the kids were gone this week, it was kind of like the the putting a bow on the 21-22 year in terms of, you know, looking at the data and thinking ahead to priorities for next year and stuff like that. So um, all good stuff. Gotta love that. And of course, I need to give a shout out to my own uh, father for uh, Father's Day tomorrow. Happy Father's Day uh, to the one and only, the legendary uh, Willie Garrett. Um, Thanks for, uh, you know, having me. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with me. You know, I had I was talking to someone this week, Manuel, about, um, about like, roughhousing with your parents as a kid. Uh, and this uh -huh. is a friend of mine who has two young kids. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a large person, and I was a big kid, you know? Like, I stopped growing in ninth grade, but I was, like, a giant, you know third grader and second grade. I was like six feet tall in fourth grade or whatever. Right. Um, I don't think I actually, but I was like 5'10 in fourth grade or something ridiculous like that. And, uh, you know, still in that age where you like run up and jump on your dad and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I must have like bruised the heck out of him on a regular basis. Like, just like he would be asleep on the couch on the weekend. And I was like, why is this dude always sleeping? Not realizing that when you have five kids and work full time, of course he was sleeping on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I would just like run up and jump on him. And I'm like, I was like, you know, a hundred 10 pounds or something in like second grade, you know? So Damn. thanks for taking all that abuse. 
I didn't understand physics as a young child, you know? <laughs> wow. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, shout out to, to everybody out there celebrating Father's Day weekend. And before we get into the stories for, for this week's passing period, I do want to shout out those of you who help amplify and spread the word about all of the above. In particular, I want to shout out Justin Brown Woods, uh, who on our last passing period uh, boosted it to his audience. He said another banger episode from the Educators at AOTA show. Highly recommend. And uh, Justin Brown Woods, if you are on Twitter, um, folks listening, if you happen to be on Twitter, he's a, a great follow. Um, he had a thread recently about his his 10 days working as a cop. And um, he talked about sort of the realization of the culture of policing and how he it just did not fit with what he wanted to accomplish in his in uh, his life and uh, his transition to the classroom from there. A fascinating thread, fascinating thread that uh, did did numbers, did numbers. So shout out to Justin. Uh, also shout out to those of you who provide some feedback and, and chime in on your thoughts about the stories that, that we talk about on the show. So I know last week, Jeff, we talked about universal pre-K, but uh, we were mostly specifically talking about the inequities within universal pre-K in terms of like the quality of education in uh, in uh, preschools across uh, communities and studies and research, emerging research that is showing that there continues to be, and uh, I don't know if continues is the right word because universal pre-K is something that is is, is growing right now, but that there uh, are inequities between the quality of uh, pre-K in different communities. And um, one of our listeners chimed in saying that she loves our po- our podcast, uh, but they felt that our conversation around universal pre-K was a little bit on the uh, negative side of things. And I definitely, definitely want to, I guess, clarify that we are huge supporters of universal pre-K. We think everybody out there, every every little one out there should have access to quality quality preschool, quality every grade, but certainly uh, quality preschool. And it's important that we address the problems that are inherent in our system when it comes to offering services across communities and not doing so in a way that helps address the most marginalized communities and most marginalized populations. So definitely want to support and amplify the need for universal pre-K, but also, also really highlight the inequities inherent in how it's growing and how uh, it's it's just doing a disservice to to folks in historically marginalized uh, communities. So so yeah, shout out to yep. that listener. Uh, yeah, yeah can I can I just add one quick thing to that, Manuel? Yep. Too because I I'm glad you brought that up and I appreciated the you know the feedback from our our listener on that. Uh, we also have over the years done I think two or three different segments on shows over the years about the the insanity of how low the pay is for um, a lot of our a lot of the educators and or care providers who work with our youngest children so these are you know pre-k uh, centers these are child care centers um, you know early EC uh, you know early childhood ed uh, centers and uh, you know folks basically making like a roughly minimum wage in some cases right and now with the expanded efforts around universal pre-k around the country there has been at least some movement around better pay uh, for folks but it's clearly still not enough and you know it's it's one of these sort of bizarre 
schisms we have where we think that like, well, you know, even though teachers are underpaid and everyone agrees that teachers are underpaid, like generally speaking, we're going to have one set of teachers who work with the youngest, most impressionable of all of us. And we're going to underpay them even more just because, just because. Right. <laughs> like, right. Uh, and, you know, and the gendered the highly gendered nature of that set of policy decisions, right? Like there, there's a there's a lot to that. And so I would um, just say, we hear you with the feedback. I hope, you know, Manuel's comments here offers maybe more context to where we were coming from on that last episode. And go back and check out uh, some of the things we've said in the past about pay inequity for, um, you know, pre-K and, and early childhood uh, educators, so. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, keep it coming, folks. Keep it coming. We love hearing back from folks uh, about these stories that we discuss and, and examine on this show. And this week, we have two stories that we're going to take a brief look at. And one of them, Jeff, I don't know if you are aware, but you know, this time of year, this time of year historically is when um, we get word from the Supreme Court about the various cases that they've looked into across the last year. And any day now, we'll be hearing the, I guess, official, well, I assume any day now, the um, official ruling on Roe v. Wade, along with several other decisions. And this is the 40th anniversary of one particularly impactful decision as it relates to public schools. And uh, we thought we should take some time out on this weekend's passing period to uh, discuss this. And Jeff, uh, what do we got? What do we got? Yeah, well, it's, now that you frame it that way, Manuel, I got to take uh, 30 seconds here and just say this, in addition to this week being monumental for the reason that this story we're about to talk about, this was also the week that uh, Sonia Sotomayor wanted to remind us that Clarence Thomas is a good person who cares deeply about uh, the institution of the court. So in case any of you were afraid that, you know, like your very basic bodily autonomy might be threatened right now, just know that Sonia Sotomayor thinks Clarence Thomas is a is a good guy. So so <laughs> we're just gonna let that one ride uh, here as we as we awkwardly he try. He might be he might be a great nah, a great nah, defender no. of <laughs> nope of uh, white supremacy and massive <laughs> like yes yes hundred percent. Uh, <laughs> he's just misunderstood, Jeff. He's, he's just a complex as is his wife. Just complex. No, yeah. terrible human no, being. You're, you are correct. Uh, yeah. Yes, what a terrible wife and a terrible everything. Okay, so now that we've uh, <laughs> done our obligatory, uh, you know, taking a crap on Uncle Clarence, uh, let's shift to something more interesting, frankly, which is um, that June 15th, 1982, the United States Supreme Court with uh, the first black man on it, who Uncle Clarence replaced, uh, the late great Thurgood Marshall, in a five to four decision, handed down the case, uh, handed down their decision in the case of Plyler versus Doe. Uh, now, Plyler was the name of a uh, Texas uh, superintendent. Doe was the collective set of anonymous names given to a set of uh, mostly Mexican American, um, but uh, undocumented immigrant families, uh, parents of children who were suing this district in Texas that had uh, passed a law that would, or the state had passed a law saying that districts could withhold uh, funding um, for services 
for undocumented youth and could charge tuition to families of undocumented youth in order to attend public school. Now, this was 1982, okay? You and I were both alive at this point, young, but alive. And we often, I think, think of uh, these sorts of cases and issues, the, these very clear, like, Jim Crow types of issues in America, right? Where it's like, hey, this group of people that we don't like, we are going to carve out a piece of law to take away rights and create second-class citizenship for you. Um, and we have tons of examples of this in American history. It's, you know, one of the defining features of the United States, historically speaking, hashtag uh, CRT. And uh, also, it didn't stop in 1965 or 1968 or 1972 or any any of the other years before you and I were here on this planet. Um, in 1982, in our lifetimes, uh, Texas decided this was the cool thing to do. And uh, these folks courageously sued um, and uh, MALDEF, the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund, I hope I'm getting that exactly I hope that's what the E stands for. But um, they, uh, you know, sort of led the legal fight against this, um, of course, with the courageous actions of these families um, in Texas, um, sued. And they actually, I didn't realize this um, earlier in the case, man, well, they won in the, at the district court level. And it was Plyler, <laughs> who the district, right, who appealed the case all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, and uh, funny enough, Manuel, uh, they lost. And um, that monumental case, which I think is widely regarded as like uh, in the sort of pantheon of cases like a Mendez versus Westminster, like a Brown versus Board of Education, um, specifically with regard to immigrant rights, is one of the prime cases that established rights, constitutional rights um, for immigrants. And the, the basis, the core question of this case, right, settled on the 14th Amendment of the United States, which is a fascinating piece of text. And I'm going to share a little bit of it uh, with everyone right now, because it actually makes very clear why this case needed to be the way it is, right? So the section one of, 14th Amendment, uh, of the 14th Amendment says, all persons born or naturalized in the United States, subject to the jurisdiction thereof, are citizens of the United States, and a state within, uh, wherein they reside. Okay. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Seems straightforward. But of course, undocumented folks are not citizens. And here's the, the kicker. Nor shall any state deprive any person person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So when you hear people talk about equal protection of the law and the equal protection clause or that sort of thing, that's, this is the text they're talking about, which is pretty straightforward. And for a country that just, just had slaves like five seconds ago when this was written, revolutionary language, right? Um, and here we are, you know, 100 plus years later, 1982, having to have a Supreme Court decision where the vote was only five to four to say, are undocumented children persons? And the court said, yes. <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> that they are persons. And Wild. Yeah. And right. that the state had no compelling interest in denying them 
their right to an education. And clearly the effect of doing so would be to create a uh, punitive second class citizenship status uh, for these kids and families. So, um, you know, fascinating moment in, in history, American history and our judicial history for any of you, you know, government and Supreme Court nerds out there. I see you. Um, and we just want to kind of commemorate that uh, this week, June 15th, 1982. So here we are 40 years later. And of course, as we've talked about recently, uh, Lil Trump Jr., uh, Governor Greg Abbott uh, in Texas is, of course, plotting and scheming trying to to undo this law uh, or this, I should say, um, this court decision um, and pass laws that would challenge it. Right. And of course, bring it up to Uncle Clarence and Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh and all the good good justices of the current United States Supreme Court that probably would undo it. So. Um, so, yeah. Fascinating, uh, momentous, I can't talk, momentous week in <laughs> American history, Manuel. Definitely want to acknowledge um, yeah. and, you know, has totally transformed in many ways what we know of and think of as public education in this country. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that the parents were courageous and you, I think you used the, the word just, uh, courage or courageous a few times in your description there about this case and uh, about this um, them challenging this uh, district superintendent uh, Plyler and it's important to note that th this was courageous because those parents even though they were able to not be named in the in the uh, challenge in the suit itself uh, so they were under the the Doe um, name they still had to testify in person and there was a very very real possibility that they would be deported right there on the spot as they showed up to testify so when they went to testify uh first of all they had the the judge move their testimony to 6 a.m which is very unprecedented in order to try to help get them in and out of there before any trouble stirred and they packed their car with all their belongings as they went to testify because they fully anticipated that they might be deported um, at that time. So that is real courage. They are basically staking their own li livelihood to speak out against this superintendent and to defend undocumented kids in Texas and their right to, to receive education. So really that was uh, that was courage there. And yes, 40 year anniversary and 1982. And to your point that that shows that our idea about like segregated schooling, all this, all this, um, you know, Jim Crow era stuff is is not so far in the past. It's not a, a black and white history we're talking about here. When I say black and white history, I mean like photos of you know, of olden times before our our nice civilized modern era. No, this is uh, very much in our lifetime. And also, for me, this just reminds me of. 1994 in California and how voters in California passed a proposition, Prop 187. I spoke about this last time we um, had this discussion. That proposition basically sought to prohibit undocumented Californians from accessing public services of any kind, including schooling. And that basically meant if you're undocumented, you could not go to public school. And that passed in California in liberal, wonky California, <laughs> it passed by a lot. It passed uh, 58 
0.9% of voters in California approved of that. And uh, thankfully that, you know, the Supreme Court rejected that because it's all, it's against Plyler, it's against a whole lot of things to just restrict so, uh, such a massive community uh, from like basic everyday services. But it passed by a lot and looking at the, what counties voted yes on it, Los Angeles County voted yes on Prop 187 to, um, to restrict undocumented folks from receiving any kind of uh, public services. Sacramento County, they voted yes on it. So I remember being in school and I remember um, there's like this walkout, like, you know, a lot of students like walked out to protest this and there were walkouts across the state. And yeah, that was not that long ago. So uh, as a classroom teacher, it's just, uh, I just don't understand why, you know, I, I hope, and I know I'm wrong on this, but I would just hope that every teacher out there would like just not care about the the citizenship status of your students in the sense of not care in the sense of like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter to me where the student was born in the sense of whether or not I'm going to deliver the highest quality education that I'm capable of delivering to help that student out. Like the names on your roster, you get a uh, high, high school teacher. I get a roster from my period, whatever. I got 36 names on it. It does not matter whether or not they're documented. It does not matter None of that, because like, it's not like it's up to them. It's not like you're in the womb and you're like plotting, like, okay, where am I about to drop? Where am I about to drop? Am I going to drop on this side of this imaginary line or that side of the imaginary? Like, it's not there. It's not up to them. Like, they are just young people who deserve a high quality education. Every child around the globe deserves a high quality education. So like, who are we to restrict any child from having access to education? It just doesn't make sense to me. And when I think about this case here, the fact that it was a superintendent that is, you know, at the heart of this case, a, a superintendent who who's trying to restrict undocumented kids from being, it's just that, like, how can you work in education? I, I, I understand that folks outside of education, they don't have the heart for young people that us educators have, uh, you know, a lot of folks don't. And I understand that for them, it, it you know, it's something else. But like, if you're in education, you're in it because you want to educate people or you should be in it because you want to educate young people or help young people access education. So how could you work within the realm of education and want to restrict any young people, like especially the entire community of young people from, from accessing education? It just doesn't, it doesn't add up. And importantly, he ended up having a change of heart. Like years later in, in 2007, he spoke about how he's glad he lost that case and he's, what did he say? Let me read his quote. Quote, I'm glad we lost the case so that kids could get educated. And it turns out his son had married a woman of Mexican descent and he himself now has Latino grandchildren. It should not take like marriage within the family or having a neighbor or coworker or friend of some other uh, ethnic background for you to realize like, oh, there are people too. Yeah, they do deserve it. it shouldn't take that. Like you should just inherently know a, per a human is a human and every human deserves access to education in this case. And it shouldn't have taken him growing over the decades to realize and understand that like, oh yeah, like all kids should get an education. It shouldn't take that. But in any case, he did have that change of heart. It did happen. And it's just um, wild to me that this is even up for discussion now with the current governor of Texas uh, insinuating that he wants to challenge this. Now, thankfully, unlike the road, uh, unlike Roe v. Wade, the Plyler decision has been codified into a federal statute. So it's not as easy to challenge, I guess, or as open to challenging as uh, Roe v. Wade was. But in any case, it's clear that this is uh, one of the many, many, many 
dog whistles, which are less and less like dog whistles and more just like loud, just regular whistles. Uh, yeah, to just folks, plain old whistles. Just plain old, <laughs> just to folks saying like, hey, hey, you don't like uh, brown people. You don't like black people. You don't like gay people. You don't like me neither. I'm, vote for me. I'll go after all of them. I'll, I'll, I'll knock them all back down to being uh, powerless in every single way. So yeah, it's it's wild to me that this is even a matter of like, discussion in 2022 about like undocumented kids being able to go to school like come on now and and you yeah. know the argument is oh but you know pay taxes you gotta pay taxes taking public funds it's like you are the party that's against taxes in the first place you are the party that protects billionaires and makes it so that they don't pay their fair taxes so don't tell me that you're concerned about like folks not paying taxes like get out of here anyways no. yeah yeah, they, they, uh, the, the beauty of some of these like right wing kind of attacks is they, they always like to wrap themselves in things that sound good, right? Like, oh, well, we're going to restrict abortion rights because we, we care about the safety of women, <laughs> you know, or like we don't want trans uh, athletes competing in high school sports because what will it do to the psyche of girls and girls sports right. if, you know, if, if, if a quote unquote boy competes in girls sports and wins all the time and i'm like come on bro you give exactly zero you know what's about girls sports dude. period <laughs> like, you period know, you care nothing about you girls allow sports them to maybe, play sports in the first place if it were up to you like come on yeah, now maybe you're... cheerleading and not even like the the gymnastics kind of cheerleading no. just the like cheer on the boys kind of yes. cheerleading that's about it that's about it right so I, you know the, the the funny thing to me manuel about you, what you just said is like this sort of you know, we are all human beings and we have a basic moral obligation to respect the humanity of human beings. Seems like such a, it's one of those kindergarten statements that is, that seems to actually get more difficult to understand as people get older, apparently. But, uh, you know, here we are, Manuel, also almost 154 years, uh, or I'm sorry, almost, yeah, 154 years after the ratification of the 14th Amendment. That was July 9th, 1868, okay? The, the basic concept <laughs> was enshrined into law that like no person, it doesn't say, you know, natural born citizen. It doesn't say white man with money and land and stuff. It doesn't say uh, only the men. It doesn't say only the straight people. It doesn't say the people who only speak English. Right. It doesn't say the Christians only. It says no person, all persons, right? Yeah. <laughs> like intentional. These backwards people who wrote this law in 1868 who just had some slaves five minutes ago understood this concept 154 years ago and yep. here we are having a real difficult time in 2022 wild so, man wild <sighs> well so there's that folks there's your little tidbit of history for uh this weekend's passing period and we also wanted to briefly touch on a a bill that's moving forward in california over here this uh wild communist marxist uh haven for i don't know all the all the bad things according to folks on the right this bill is interesting to me as somebody who teaches predominantly seniors well juniors and seniors and this year in particular, uh, I, you know, I want to say pretty much every single year that I've taught, I've had uh, students who are experiencing homelessness, uh, students who are either temporarily 
or, or long-term unhoused. And this year in particular, uh, I had m- multiple students whose families plunged into homelessness during the school mm-hmm. year, during this super disruptive pandemic year of, of learning. And it's getting to a point where the cost of living in, in California in particular, but it's not just, obviously it's not just California, it's really just nationally. It, it's just getting to a point where regular everyday working families between gas prices, between inflation, between uh, rents skyrocketing, all that stuff, it's just getting, it seems to be getting harder and harder for everyday working families. So I experienced that myself this year, seeing uh, students deal with this in the middle of the school year. And uh, for the graduation that we just had a few weeks ago, you know, what are one or more of my uh, seniors that I've had in my class cross the stage. And I'll be honest, a lot of us educators, a lot of us teachers that are at school are like worried about like, how are they going to make it through the summer because things are so tough. And in the cases of students who are going to go off to college and who might have that financial aid kicking in in the fall to help them, like, how are you going to, what are you going to do in the meantime? So there's a bill uh, going through the legislature here in California, Senate Bill 1341, which is proposing a monthly no strings attached check to eligible students, uh, students who are unhoused, um, uh, thousand dollar a month check for five months that would range from april april of their senior year through august so during that really rough rough like out of high school financial aid hasn't kicked in yet or we don't know what we're going to do yet so those those five months where a student will get a thousand dollars a month um if they're unhoused and it's one of those bills that sounds like, you know, for folks on the more conservative side of things, this, you know, more money going out to folks, like why, why are we cutting checks to folks? And, you know, I had a hard time too, and I didn't get no money. I made it this and that, whatever. Uh, and for folks on the more progressive side of things, it's like, okay, this is helpful. I don't know if a thousand a month is going to solve anyone's problems, but you know, it's certainly it's going to, going to, uh, be helpful for folks. Um, so this currently, it, it already passed through the Senate floor in May and it's now being reviewed viewed by the assembly and given the California budget right now, I don't know if folks out there heard, but uh, California had a, a, a windfall of revenue, even though apparently everyone's leaving California and there's no tax base and uh, windfall revenue. So money-wise, it's looking like California certainly is in a place where uh, it could accomplish this. But Jeff, I just wanted to get your thoughts before uh, before we get out of here for the weekend on this idea of a $1,000 a month stipend to unhoused high school seniors that will span from April of their senior year through August. What are your, your thoughts on this idea? Yeah, so Manuel, I'm, I am both Here's what I'm. Here's my thoughts. <laughs> it's complicated. Uh, I'm gonna try in this moment, Manuel, to uphold my general uh, axiom, if that's the right use of that term, axiom, uh, which is that when people are trying to do good things and then the good thing happens, that I I don't want to spend my time being outraged about the good things happening. There are enough bad things happening <laughs> in the world and people who are trying to do harm that I should save my outrage for them, right? For those things. Um, and maybe I could just be like, oh, I wish it was a little better, but like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna manage my cortisol levels and, <laughs> and, not, <laughs> and not get upset about things that are at least trying to be good, okay? And so I think, 
this is this is probably better than just simply trying to be good. So let me give some credit to Senator uh, Dave Cortez uh, from San Jose, um, who was the I guess the original sponsor of this bill. Um, and I, look, it is a good thing that we are giving money to unhoused people. Period. End of story. We we talked about this uh, I think on a separate issue a few episodes ago, where I'm just like we love to treat symptoms in this country instead of treating root causes. And I'm like, like the root cause, like if someone's homeless, give them a house to live in. If someone doesn't have money, give them money. Like, like the, we don't need, I mean, maybe we do need more after school programs and enrichment programs and all that. But I mean, that is, those are supplemental to the core issue, right? So I do appreciate and respect the fact that this is at least attempting to get at the core issue, which is kids who are graduating high school, especially if you're like already 18, you lose access to a lot of the benefits that you could have access to as a minor, and you're just cast aside, right? It's like a, you know, uh, now you're a quote unquote adult who's supposed to be fully self-sufficient as a freaking 18 year old. Like who, who at all is a like well-functioning, sophisticated, fully financially independent 18 year old, right? Like that's, that's, crazy. And even like the rich 18 year olds in Hollywood are crazy and need help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so it, like, I, I love that what we're doing here is giving money to people who have a fundamental issue, which is they don't have enough money. So in that sense, props to Dave Cortez. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. And, uh, to hopefully the members of the state assembly who vote to approve this bill and the governor who signs it into law. Um, so, you know, I feel good about it in that sense. I do wish, Manuel, like if you look at the carve-outs here, right, um, the bill would give a monthly no-strings-attached check to eligible students for five months from April of their senior year until August. Okay, now, first of all, Anybody who's gone to college knows that the initial financial crush of going to a college uh, extends well beyond August, right? Um, and that, uh, you know, the, the sort of earmarking of who's eligible, right? It's just the 12th graders, just in this one window of time. How, you know, how do you confirm your status as homeless? You know, I, I worry, Manuel, about the, like, putting up barriers to access um, of these resources that particularly for an underage dependent group of people is going to mean that a lot of folks who potentially could access this money won't. And folks will have to fight hard to get it. And it's such a short, tiny window of time. Like, why are yeah, we, you yeah. know, why are we doing all that, man? Like, just give them the money and let them have money throughout college. They're not going to be... You know, they're still going to have the same family financial struggles in all likelihood throughout four years of college. So why not extend it throughout, you know? Uh, and I, there, there might be good policy reasons for this. Maybe there's other benefits they can tap into as a college student once they're enrolled or something. I, you know, I'm not, um, yeah, yeah. I can't cite it all offhand, but I sort of am like, yes, and come on, man, just give these people these money. Like, we got so many yeah. billionaires in this state. Raise their taxes by 0.0001%. Take their pocket change from the couch and give it to the homeless high school seniors. Can we do that, yeah. please? Yeah, you make some great points there, and I agree. And certainly, certainly there are some bigger things to be done 
in the in the uh, direction of trying to support folks who are unhoused and trying to support folks who are struggling, uh, regardless of if they have a fixed regular nighttime residence or not. Uh, certainly, there's some big things to be done because uh, you know you look at rents, you look at the cost of housing. Man, I I don't know how how folks deal with the rents going up and with everything happening all at once. Like it's it's very 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 challenging and difficult. And big things need to be done. Uh, we need to go after these corporations that are buying up so many single family homes and driving up costs. We need to go out. Uh, go after these folks who are just investing in real estate, uh, all cash uh, offers here and there and making it hard for folks who actually want to live and like raise a family in a house um, to, to be able to do that. We got to do all those big things. But in, in the meantime, in the mix of it, I'm in the classroom and I'm looking at a kid who is in a motel and is struggling and every day is just getting more and more difficult and in, in some of these cases, it's like just a little bit of money would go a long way. Just like this bill is due, it's this amount, and damn it, if we can't meet, meet that, we don't know where we're going to be at next week. Like in those kind of cases, man, something like this, $1,000 a month, uh, absolutely, absolutely could be very, very, very helpful for folks in those situations. So in, in the case of, of this particular piece of legislation, I, I'm thinking it might be one of those situations where, you know, this, you know, state senator, Dave Cortez, maybe that's how you pronounce the name, C-O-R-T-E-S-E. -E. Um, maybe it's one of those situations where it's like, look, there's all this big stuff that needs to be done, but there's not enough movement on that. And right now there are young people who need some direct support. And this piece of legislation here is small enough, concise enough, direct enough that it could, it could, be life-changing for at least a couple folks out there. So, hey, let's do it. While while the bigger debates about um, our uh, this this current uh, economy, while the bigger debates around it um, continue on, like let me try to do something that is real specific and real tangible for folks out there. So that's that's my looking my you know my yes, bigger things need to be done, more needs to be done. But hey, in the meantime. This right here, it, it sounds very, very, very important and very, very, very helpful uh, from my view of it. And it looks like, you know, that that window, that April to, to, to August window, you know, um, one concern that came up in where, by the way, we are getting this information from a Los Angeles Times article by uh, Jonah Valdez. Um, one, one piece that was in there was this idea that like, oh, yeah, you know, giving a monthly stipend to college students, for example, when they looked into that, they saw that, oh, that's going to dip into their financial aid in the sense of like, oh, that would mean like somewhere else in their financial aid will be restricted. So like $1,000 a month to a kid, if it goes into their, you know, throughout the fall, then that means their colleges, their universities, their scholarships, like as far as they're concerned, like, okay, this kid is coming in with some income. They're getting this income from the state. So we can reduce the amount that we're offering them or, or whatever, like it offsets and it just, it's just, it's messy and it's, it's not, not great. So in the meantime, April through August, the uncertainty of the summer when you're a graduating senior and in particular when you're unhoused and your family's moving from motel to motel trying to figure out what they're going to do. Yo, California, it, it's got the money, even though everyone's saying uh, folks are fleeing California. Everyone's saying like rich people refuse to live in California because the taxes are so high. Well, I see rich people like all over the freaking place moving yeah. in here, all these rich athletes coming in. <laughs> like the no only one's, people no. who can live in California now, man. <laughs> yeah, man. And like, it's like, okay, I get, I, I guess they're not afraid of the taxes. They're here and they're, you know, the, the tax base is still there and it's robust right now. And uh, these, these young people need help. So let's help them. Well, that's that on that, Jeff. Uh, so 
to summarize today's passing period, shout out to those of you who have been listening and, and boosting the show and giving us feedback. Shout out to those of you who are out there fighting the good fight for all students, particularly in the case of the pilot decision, particularly undocumented students and helping them get the high quality education that they deserve because they are quote unquote persons, period. And uh, also uh, shout out to folks trying to support our unhoused students because uh, times are tough. Times are tough for a lot of people. And being a senior and graduating and that uncertainty of the future, that's hard enough. But when you add the added element of being unhoused during that time, um, very, very, very tough stuff. So shout out to everybody out there fighting the good fight and helping helping ensure that young people have at least a chance, at least a fighting chance at making it in this this hellscape that we have of a world uh, right now. Jeff, anything else before we get out of here um, for this week? You know, I did, as we were giving shout outs there, Manuel, um, it, you jarred my memory. Uh, we also have, I think, a, a good shout out to give to um, a, a supporter of the show, a friend and colleague of mine, Virginia Lee, who was up in the Bay Area, uh, you know, working on some social justice stuff with uh, good people in education this week and posted on uh, Facebook um, her uh, brand new Teach the Truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, all the above t-shirt um, repping for, um, for the show up there in the Bay. Uh, and I think she had the, uh, the the pride version of the shirt, which was pretty cool given it's June, you know. Um, yep. So shout out to Virginia. Appreciate the support uh, for the show. And uh, the shirt looks great, you know. So folks, uh, check it out. We got all different colors. We got all, all different uh, political causes you can represent on the shirt. It's really uh, kind of a cool thing. So um, go to aotashow.com slash support. Uh, that's aotashow.com slash support, and you'll see the link there to uh, enter our Teespring store, and you can get your own Teacher Truth shirt right there. Boom. There we have it. There we have it. That's that on that. All right, folks. Well, we hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. If you're listening to this during the week, we hope you have a fantastic week, and we will catch you next weekend with... One more passing period next weekend, and then uh, we'll have some super dope guests on after that. So shout out to all of y'all. We love y'all. And now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class.